Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. Welcome to tell me everything the little show that could here at the corner of what the fuck o'clock and we are so glad you're with us we have a great show tonight bob seska will join us there's a lot to cover in politics and fuckery uh the great keith price our comedy daddy will be with us in hour number three also i'm very happy to welcome mickey huff back to our show he's the director of project censored he's president of the nonprofit media freedom foundation and he's co-edited 14 editions of the project's annual yearbook, including the most recently Project Censored State of the Free Press. And what they do here is they 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 get a whole bunch of just what they call copaganda, uh, a surface, a surfeit of junk food news and billionaire owned press that sets the term of public discussion. It's called Project Censored, but it's more or less the year in fuckery. And I'm really glad to have Mickey Huff back on our show. I hope you guys are doing well. We'd love to hear from you. Chris Hauselt is our executive producer running this thing out of South Carolina. Thea Harper, still away. Owen is heroically filling in, and we are so grateful and lucky to have him. He doesn't realize that he's slumming it with us. And I hope you had a nice Wednesday. I, I've, I've been living with this cat problem for a couple of weeks. And, and uh, uh, wow, Chris, let me tell you something. Uh, major cat anxiety over the holidays. Didn't travel this year. Had 4,000 family come to stay here in our place. And uh, we, we thought the cat was either upset about all the guests or that there's a, a neighbor cat that comes in the backyard. But this cat just started spraying. You ever had that happen when you have company and you're terrified their luggage is going to get hit? And it got so bad. The company left. Cat was still doing it. Oh, good times. This was really my cat pee Christmas, Chris. This was the cat pee Christmas. That's how I remember it. It was just every day, uh, walk into a room, drop on the floor, sniff around, find where they did it. We have no more area rugs in this apartment. My cat was just, I, I thought it was behavioral. And, and like, like, like it, I can go more specific, like wake up at two in the morning and like you're smelling your hair. Oh my God, it's on me. So finally, you know, we bought new litter boxes and Charmy went and got these, these collars that have pheromones and plugged these things into the wall that emit pheromones. And all my money went to the pet store after Christmas, <laughs> just trying to figure out what that I've been taking out cat litter in the backyard and leaving it there. So the smell will keep other cats. So it's been crazy here. Talked, took the cat to the vet. Didn't have anything this morning. Woke up. That cat was not right. 
and I knew it. Took it back to the vet. He had crystals that was blocking his bladder. It's not behavioral. We wasted a lot of money. <laughs> my cat had his procedure done. He's been flushed out. I, I had to go back and take my cat to a vet hospital. About an hour ago, Chris, I was walking around in the dark in 30-degree weather on the Upper East Side trying to find the vet hospital to bring my cat with his catheter. I've never brought a cat wearing a catheter into a New York City taxi before, so my bucket list is fully crossed off. And uh, happy to report Mickey is supposed to make a full recovery, and I'll be picking him up tomorrow. There's my exciting cat guy life. It's also a good sign to get a haircut. I learned uh, when you when you're in the vets and you realize, oh, my God, I'm the guy with the cat and the ponytail. Ooh, no, cut the hair. So thank you. I'm all butched up now. And what a show we have planned for you tonight. A lot going on in the news. A lot we have to get to. As always, our most important guest is you. And we are at 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT. We got to talk about how. Everyone trying to travel this morning and a major, major system failure caused a nationwide halt on departures for every airline. An incredible failure of technology and, uh, you know, of, of the corporations behind it. But of course, it's a great victory for Republicans who are afraid Pete Buttigieg will run for president someday. Uh, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker signed an assault weapons ban into law. And a day after Katie Porter announced she'd run for Senate, now we hear that Congresswoman Barbara Lee told her colleagues she, too, is going to make a run for Dianne Feinstein's seat. There's a lot we got to cover, and I'm so glad you're with us. 866-997-4748. We're going to cover it all and do it with you guys right by our side. So let's do a show. And tonight, the theme of this F-bomb rant, someone who left us and someone who refuses to leave. (laughs) First, Jeff Beck, one of the greatest guitarists our lifetimes has left us. He was 78 years old. Um, one of the most skilled, influential, admired guitar players in the history of recorded music. He passed away in a hospital near his home in River Hall, southern England. He was, again, only 78. The cause was bacterial meningitis. Now, he joined the Yardbirds in 1965 to replace, well, Clapton, who had left. And by then, they were already one of the defining acts in Britain's early rock blues movement. Uh, but his licks, man, he inspired everybody, including Jimmy Page. And then he, he left. And three years later, he started his own band, of course, the Jeff Beck Group, with Rod Stewart, his little-known lead singer, and Ronnie Wood playing bass, led to so much great music and and so much great session work. I mean, think about all the people Jeff Beck has played with, the from Roger Waters to Kate Bush to Tina Turner, to Bon Jovi, to India Ari. And, you know, I think about, we're going to play tonight his version of I Ain't Superstitious, Willie Dixon's classic, uh, which Howling Wolf did in 61. But Jeff Beck's version is like the definitive with Rod Stewart, young Rod Stewart on vocals, Ronnie Wood playing bass, just playing so hard. Rod Stewart sings the hell out of it. And Jeff Beck blows them all away with his guitar solos on that line. He won eight Grammys. He ranked fifth on Rolling Stone's list of the 100 greatest guitarists, and he has influenced everyone who came after him. Every guitar player you have liked in the last 40 years was influenced by the work of Jeff Beck. He will be deeply, deeply missed, and we invite you to share your thoughts and memories of him tonight at 866-997-4748, or if you're listening on the app on demand or on the John Fuglesang podcast, we'd love to hear from you daywalkers about him. So that's who left us. Let's talk now about who's never, ever going to leave us. The doughy, mucousy, worm-like compost heap of festering dumb lies that goes by the name 
George Santos. Where do you begin with this guy's lies? It's almost like, you know, we have all these arguments and we say, oh, all politicians lie. Yeah, but no one lies as much as Trump. And then Satan gives us this. Uh, lied about going to Peru College. Lied about going to NYU. He lied he worked for Goldman Sachs. Lied he worked for Citigroup. He lied that he founded a charity that the IRS had no record of at all. Lied that he was a Jewish. Called himself a proud American Jew. Lied that his ancestors escaped the Holocaust. Lied that his mother was somehow killed because of 9-11, 15 years after 9-11, when she was nowhere near 9-11. Lied that he lost employees at the mass murder in Pulse nightclub. And, of course, you know, somehow earned a salary of $750,000, up to $5 million as the owner of his shady DeVolder organization, but wouldn't give out any information about the clients or how he made that money. Nassau County prosecutors have already opened an investigation into young Mr. Santos. It kind of makes you long for the honesty and dignity and character of, I don't know, Herschel Walker. Well, today, the Nassau County GOP called for his immediate resignation over these very obvious reports that he has just lied about his resume and his background all over the place. They had a press conference today back on the Isle of Long from whence I come, and they just tore into this guy for breaking the trust of his constituents because he lied about everything, right? He cannot serve anymore. He does not deserve that right, says Nassau County GOP Chair Joe Cairo. And and they're saying they're not even going to work with his office. He is a stain on the House of Representatives. He is a stain on the 3rd Congressional District. Here's Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman on handling their concerns about Congressman Santos's ever-expanding, ever-evolving, ever-devolving lies. Let's go through the, the federal issues. So there are environmental issues that we would normally discuss with the member of Congress. Uh, we would discuss it with Majority Leader Schumer, Senator Gillibrand. Um, whether it's uh, a personal issue like a passport or an immigration issue, uh, we would bring that up to the attention of the member of Congress. Uh, in this case, um, I think it's very workable and I'm, I'm very happy that uh, Congressman D'Esposito has agreed to help us in Nassau County to funnel those types of requests uh, to, um, to his office. And I will be speaking with Anthony D'Esposito and Andrew Garbarino if it's a House matter. And if it's a Senate, Senate matter, I, I communicate with the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Even though he's in the other party, he's been very responsive to Nassau County residents. And uh, we will work out a system whereby the residents of the 3rd Congressional District will make sure that, that they get taken care of. But I just can't see any way that I or my colleagues uh, can deal with someone who is, you know, appearing to be a pathological liar. <laughs> I laugh because these guys supported Trump and Bush, but you, you get the idea. And, and, and he's right. This is the first official Republican Party group to formally call on Mr. Santos to step down. Now, again, he, he was elected to serve the third congressional district of New York. He had 54 percent of the vote in November representing where I come from, the Isle of Long. Um, and he's not going to leave. He's not going to have to. He's not going to have any serious pressure to do it, at least none that we'll know about. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. And isn't it fun to still feel that roll off the tongue? House <sighs> Humiliated House Speaker Kevin McCarthy insists that uh, he's going to get committee assignments. Young Mr. Santos, he told reporters the voters elected him to serve in America today. You're innocent until proven guilty. 
I mean, Kevin McCarthy sold his manhood and dignity for Donald Trump, who he despises. You think he cares about lies? He told the reporters he wasn't going to sit George Santos on any of the A committees, right? Like the powerful, like like judiciary, ways and means and budget. But they don't ever put first term lawmakers on those A committees anyway. So he's really doing a whole lot of nothing because he needs the vote. Uh, Congressman Patrick McHenry from North Carolina said, when you have your local party saying something so vocally, that's not a helpful sign. But we're going to leave this up to the normal legal and ethics process, meaning nothing, because the Republican Party has no normal legal and ethics process. He tweeted today, George Santos did, I was elected to serve the people. I don't know his real voice. This is what I imagine he says. Like, I was elected to serve the people of NYO3, not the party and politicians. I remain committed to doing that. And regret to hear that local officials refuse to work with my office to deliver results to keep our community safe and lower the cost of living. I will not resign. <laughs> That's how he ended it. Not was in all caps, so you'd know he mean it. For you guys in the back, you can hear that, right? The not was all caps. I will not resign. But here's the deal. George, you are the Republican Party. The people of NYO3, you, you say you were elected to serve them, right? Well... Who did they elect? Because the people of New York's third district elected a gay and married Jewish descendant of Holocaust survivors who graduated from Baruch, who worked for Goldman Sachs, who worked for Citigroup, who lost employees in the Pulse nightclub shooting, whose mother died because of 9-11 and who ran an animal rescue charity. Is that you, George? Because that's who they voted for. That ain't you, baby. You were not elected. But I want you to stay. And I've said it all along. I want him to stay. I want him on that wall. I need him on that wall because George Santos should be the face of the Republican Party more than Marjorie Taylor Greene, more than Lauren Boebert, more than Madison Cawthorn, probably as much as Donald Trump. I mean, why shouldn't he? He embodies everything this current version of the Repu Republican Party has come to represent. Lying? <laughs> We're expecting Republicans to kick him out because he told a lot of lies? This is the party of WMDs and will be greeted as liberators and Obama wasn't born here and Obamacare has death panels and Obamacare will kill us all and COVID will go away with the warm weather. Lies about his education? I mean, that's usually Republicans do it the opposite. Usually Republicans lie about education in the context of pretending they're not educated. Witness Louisiana Republican Senator and Rhodes Scholar John Kennedy who is a Rhodes Scholar, but in public, he talks like an extra from Deliverance. I call this Ivy League Anonymous. You know, Bush went to Andover, Harvard, and Yale, but had a fake Southern accent until he got to his second term and then dropped it. So, you know, come on. And it, he lied about gun violence. Well, okay, that's, that's the backbone of the GOP. Lied about his marriage. Lied about his business success. He could be president. He pretended to be charitable. He's the ultimate Republican. He might have flashed a white power symbol in the Capitol. And Friday night, he supported a man who voted to throw out the will of the American voters because he wanted to be Speaker of the House. George Santos has lied about 9-11 and exploited 9-11 for professional gain. George Santos has pretended to follow a religion he doesn't actually follow. Friends, he is the most Republican Republican we've got. And he ain't going anywhere. Think about it. What, what, what's Kevin McCarthy going to do? Force one of his own winged monkeys to resign? 
and then open that district up to a special election? No, no, he's not going to do it again. Democrats eject him. Republicans elect him. That's how it works. Anytime there's a scandal, if this guy had been a Democrat, they would not have let him take the oath. They would not have let him swear himself in. Show me where this party does anything in the name of integrity. Show me where they put integrity first. Democrats will put integrity first if it means them losing seats. But here's the real reason why he's not going anywhere. It's twofold. Number one, Republicans have only a five seat majority. And the House has a new rule that lets just one member trigger a vote on removing the speaker. So he ain't going anywhere. And also, more importantly, George Santos represents a district that voted for Biden by 10 points. You think they're going to let him go? I mean, a special election would conceivably swing to Democrats, and that would make the Republican majority even tighter. So, friends, take it from me. Write it down. George Santos is not leaving Congress. He's not going anywhere. George Santos doesn't deserve Congress. But the Republican Congress deserves George Santos. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. How can President Biden be trusted moving forward with America's secrets? Because his lawyers, his team did the right thing. But he had a closet with he, classified his information lawyers in did it the that right, they found. How again, did they again, again, again. He did. He was right surprised that the records the were there. He spoke to this personally. He was surprised that the that the records were there, and when his lawyers found out and his team found out that they were there. Uh, they turned it over to the archives. And now it's being reviewed by the Department of Justice. Of Corrine Jean-Pierre for a media that desperately needs to both sides the shit out of this. Look, you guys already know Joe Biden probably didn't bring those documents to the University of Pennsylvania. Joe Biden didn't know they were there. No laws were broken. They did the right thing. They weren't locked in a basement room in his house. He never lied about anything. He never blew up a subpoena and they never had to send federal agents to his place to get the shit. In other words, it's just the same as what Donald Trump did. It's every bit as evil as what Donald Trump did, except when Trump did it, it was acceptable. This is the fuckery we're talking about, and that's why we need Bob Seska, host of the Bob Seska Show, one of the best political podcasts you can get. I've loved Bob since I first heard him on Stephanie Miller and his columns in Salon.com. Every Wednesday, he classes up the joint big time. Mr. Seska, welcome back. John, you know I love the traditional press. Uh, some of my best friends are journalists. I came up through the print press and through uh, radio news and so on. And uh, I think that's why I get disappointed by these stories. That's why the CBS News story, the way it was reported, has been so utterly crushing, not only from 
you know, the point of view that it empowers the Republicans, leading us one step closer to authoritarianism, fascist idiocracy, whatever you want to call it. But also from a journalism perspective, it's just it's sad when this is what we're looking at when it comes to what has been commonly referred to over the years as the Tiffany Network, CBS News is the gold standard is what it's supposed to be. And yet here we are. Now, why why is CBS News standing out for you? Because I got to be honest, you know, watching Anderson Cooper bend over backwards to try to have a false equivalency about this. And I like Anderson Cooper. I've known him for years. He's been on this show. But like, my God, the Chris Lictification of CNN has been so horrific. What is it about CBS News? I mean, you know, for me, Bob, I've always said the media is not liberal. The media is terrified of being called liberal. So any time they can pounce on Biden for anything, they'll do it. Well, CNN's done a terrible job of interpreting this information. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Three times as much coverage of this as Fox, Bob. uh, CNN had three times as much coverage of this bogus non-scandal. I mean, they found the documents and they brought him in. They they gave him back. Exactly. Vice president. How classified could they be if he was vice president? For God's sakes, what were they? Like where the season tickets were for the Nats game? Jesus. Yeah, but the origin of this story starts with the exclusive reporting from CBS News. The way this gets launched, John, and we've seen this before. I was witnessing it when it came to some of the reporting surrounding the Edward Snowden files. We saw it again with the Hillary Clinton email server scandal. Oh, yeah. Where all you have to do in the social media age is throw up one tweet. And maybe it links to the news article. Maybe it doesn't. But most of the time it does. That one tweet, though, can start a chain reaction of some people saying and false equivalences. People are are saying it's all over the Internet. It's buzzing. Sources say. Yeah. And here was the first thing I saw, John, when this story broke. It said uh, it was the CBS News account on Twitter. It said exclusive classified documents from Joe Biden's vice presidential office were discovered by the president's personal attorneys at the Penn Biden Center a think tank in Washington, D.C. So there's one bit of key information missing from that tweet, and I'll get to the body of the article here in a second. I did an experiment where I started a new tweet, grabbed that text, copied, pasted the text into a new tweet, and then added the words, well, discovered is already in there, but discovered and returned by the president's personal attorneys, including the link to the actual CBS News page, That still fits within the 280 characters. If they had written discovered and returned, it still would have fit. And that may have mitigated, perhaps not CNN's reporting on this, but I think a lot of people who may not be as active in politics as you and I are, but still follow politics, Twitter, politics, social media, they would have seen that and it would have diffused so much of this. I mean, at the very least, even if it hadn't diffused it, At the very least, it would have been the proper way to report this news. Then you click over to the actual story itself. And remember, this is the exclusive. This is the first time it's been reported. CBS News was first on to this this initial, whatever it was, 10 documents found at the Penn Biden Center. Mm-hmm. So you, 10, you by go the, to, 10, I'm sorry, Bob, one, 10 and ten, Trump was 160, 160 documents, Biden 10. Go on, please. Yeah, actually, the uh, the Trump documents numbered uh, over 300 total documents right. with different classification markings. 
But you get to the actual news story on CBSNews.com or whatever it is, and you have to go down. I think it's something like 184 words, at least two big paragraphs before you get to the mitigating information, before you actually read that the White House Counsel's Office notified the National Archives, which took possession of the materials the following morning. And then you have to go all the way down to paragraph 21 before you see, but the scope and scale are materially different between the Biden documents and the Trump documents. Yes. Paragraph 21, it took them to get to that. Knowing full well, and study after study has showed this, that most people see the tweet, fewer people actually click the link and read the headline, even fewer people read the headline and then the lead. And almost no one reads past maybe the first 30 percent of the story. Yeah. So uh, this is well-known information in the traditional press. And I'm not breaking any news here. This is not some sort of super double secret study that they conducted. This mm-hmm. is just how it is in what Rush Limbaugh used to call the drive-by era, you know, where you, you scroll right on past things, you absorb a couple of words from that. And that becomes that informs what your opinion is of the story from that point moving forward. And so the Republicans are seizing on that. The Republicans have latched onto that. And it's not just this story. It's countless other stories where they'll take that first reading of the story, assume cynically that everyone only reads that tweet or reads the headline and then builds their entire talking point machine based on that. And so now, consequently, Trump's screaming about it. There was Dana Lash and Jesse Waters on Fox News yesterday screaming, where's the raid? It's the umbrage-gasm. The umbrage-gasm. Exactly. Playing into this idea that not enough people even know that the documents were immediately returned, that they don't know that Merrick Garland had a Trump-appointed U.S. attorney in Illinois reviewing the documents they don't know any of that and that again plays into the republican mischief when it comes to now what's inevitably going to be the calls for a special prosecutor what's inevitably going to be the calls for a select committee to investigate the biden documents and maybe from a political point of view and sometimes that's all it takes the complete nullification of the investigation into the donald trump's documents at mar-a-lago So this has far reaching implications, and it all starts with one shoddy, uh, incomplete tweet issued by CBS News. But even but they did make sure to put periods between D and C when they wrote Washington, (laughs) D.C. At least there was that. I mean, Bob, I'm already tired of having these fights because, you know, everybody (laughs) on the right who's flipping out about Joe Biden taking these documents, they don't care. None of them care if they actually thought anything Joe Biden did was wrong. They would be fighting to incarcerate Donald Trump again. Biden's team called the appropriate authorities, returned the documents immediately. Donald Trump refused to return them, blew off subpoenas. And once he did, he didn't return them all and then lied about it. And this is the gaslighting that we're getting from Jim Jordan, from right wing media. I mean, Trump refused to cooperate. Joe Biden cooperated. And, and, Mm -hmm. And again, our own Michelangelo Signorelli had a great comeback because uh, Dan Crenshaw was tweeting, why haven't they raided the FBI raided Joe Biden's home? And Michelangelo said, for the same reason they haven't raided Trump Tower. No yeah. probable cause. Yeah. Dan Crenshaw is assuming that his followers, his voters don't know that 
Donald Trump stonewalled NARA and the Department of Justice for a year and a half before they raided Mar-a-Lago. A year and a half. Within 24 hours, NARA was back in possession of every last piece of paper that was top secret at the Penn Biden Center. So you got to compare. And and Dan Crenshaw realizes that his voters don't understand that uh, a year and a half is much longer than 24 hours or less. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. attorneys for Biden notified NARA within seconds of finding these documents, yep. as they should have. And then NARA immediately contacted the Department of Justice. Merrick Garland swung into action negating all of this nonsense about political witch hunts and the weaponization of the government and so on, which are already going to be committee hearings in in the House of Representatives. So the Republicans don't care that Trump stole 300 plus documents. They don't they don't care that Trump kept some of the documents in his desk drawer and in his office Mm -hmm. closet at Mar-a-Lago within easy access of any number of random guests who come there for weddings and bar mitzvahs and whatever else happens at mar-a-lago so that's a far cry that's uni- that's universes galaxies away from what happened with joe biden but these are nuances that get lost in the social media age and, and that's something we're gonna have to contend with that's something that we're constantly gonna have to fight back against to make sure that enough swing voters enough independent voters uh, enough ordinary people are armed with all the information they should be armed yeah, with before they, they step they, into a voting booth. We have to do that. But again, let, let's let's keep a few things in mind. This is the Benghazification of politics, right? Like mm-hmm. the Republican voters won't care. They are beyond reason. Dan Crenshaw thinks that uh, his supporters won't care about the facts. And if they do know the facts, they won't care about the hypocrisy. Yeah. And Dan Crenshaw is right. They won't. And that's why, Bob, even though this is a big nothing burger, this story is not going away. There will be committee investigations over this. This new mm-hmm. Republican House, they can't work with Democrats to try to improve Americans lives. Right. They can't do it. They're not allowed to work with Democrats. So all they can do is this performative governance and having these hearings and hearings and have their little monologues to be aired on Tucker that night. This story is not going away and it's going to be like Benghazi. They will exploit it. They will lie about it. They will do whatever they can do to make you believe that Joe Biden is as amoral and shitty as Donald Trump, who's awesome, by the way. And we're not going to get rid of it. And and guys like you and me and our listeners will be out there telling the truth, patiently listing all the real facts. And it's going to be another one of these Hillary's emails. It's going to be another oh, yeah. Hillary's email, Bob. That's yeah. it. And it's going to live with us for a long time. This is the, the huge story's advantage, not going away. John. Yeah, is the huge advantage of constructing this, I don't know what you would call it, media infrastructure, where the traditional press, New York Times, Washington Post, papers of record, uh, TV news, network news, is not to be trusted. You know, the real reporters, the real journalism that's happening out there, it's not to be trusted. The only people who are to be trusted are Fox News Channel and AM Talk Radio and whatever happens on Breitbart and the Daily Mm -hmm. Wire podcast and so on. Those are the only people who can be trusted. So consequently, you can feed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's an epistemic bubble. You can feed that bubble whatever the hell you want. It doesn't matter if it's completely counterfactual. It doesn't matter if it says the sky is green and the moon is made of cheese and the earth is flat and there are Jewish space lasers and, oh, my God, all the rest of it, all the QAnon stuff in there, too. I mean, that's one of the reasons why it's so successful, because they have so thoroughly 
uh, uh, marginalized, at least within that group of That's whatever it. it happens to be, 74 million American voters. Um, they have so thoroughly marginalized the actual facts of a story, the actual reporting of a story. And sadly enough, some members of the press, and I'm not saying every press outlet, I'm not saying every journalist, but some like this CBS news story have played into it, have fed. Of course, of course. They have to. They have to show how not biased towards the Democrats they are. They jump on this. The media will zealously jump on anything to make Mm -hmm. it seem like they're unbiased. But the reality is they're doing it because they are biased. Because the media has only one bias, and it's not towards Democrats or liberals. It's towards ratings. And CNN will never stop trying to chase that 8% of the Fox demographic that might click over here during a commercial break. That's all it's about. That's Chris Lick's entire mission. And it's something we've seen CNN try every decade, and it always fails. Mr. Seska, we have a lot of callers who want to weigh in, and everybody who's calling gets on the air tonight. Do you want to take a call? Oh, absolutely. Let's do it. You're making and people be fired up. Cat in Texas. Welcome. You're on with Bob Seska. Hi, Bob. Hi. Hi, John. How's everything? Hey. How's everything, guys? Very good. What's up? You're you're uh, really you're really uh, you really educate me. I listen to a lot of your stuff you say. I want to disagree with John on 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 George Santos. Please disagree with me. Now, here's here's a metaphor. You ever been in traffic and there's this big old construction thing going on and there's a merge lane? You get that one dude that don't understand how not cool it is to get in the merge lane and go around everyone in the nose in. You know, he's 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 the dude that's cutting in line. He's the dude that's lying on federal forms. He's the yeah. dude that's going to be forgotten about. He's going to be forgotten about the stuff he did, and then he's going to go on. And next thing you know, you've got another Brett Kavanaugh. You know, rapist in, in the Supreme Court. You've got a cult member in the Supreme Court. Hang on, hang on, court. hang on. No, are, are you saying that George Santos is somehow going to get on the Supreme Court because we'll all forget about this? George, George Santos, his, his goal is not public service. It is acquisition I know. of power. I know that. That's the entire Republican Party. That's why he belongs there. I'm, and I'm using that as a metaphor. I'm using that as a semi-metaphor. When you okay. think about all of these Republicans, Bob, if you if you want to know what a Republican is, uh, we get it. We get it. I've made a diagram for Bob. I'll fax him later. Go on. <laughs> I watch and, and, and don't don't let John don't, John tell you. I do occasionally teach physics. Okay, so just say. But the point the point being is that he needs to be removed, and everyone no. needs to call and call and call and set up websites to a GoFundMe, whatever you have to do. This dude has to go, man. You can't. You can't he has just, to go, but Trump had to go. Bush had to go after there were no WMDs. He's not gone. Yeah. He's not going to go. He'll I, go I in two Trump years. Is, sure, definitely. And Trump, and Trump. And here's the thing. Okay, here's the thing. I mean, even though he didn't go and he is tainted, he's just getting away with murder. I mean, the United States of bullshit, yes. dude. Yes. And, and Bush I mean, got away with a million murders. But Trump ain't going anywhere either. Trump is a retiree yeah, yeah. in Florida who never leaves the house. It's over. Use George Santos. Let Democrats fundraise the fuck off of this guy for two years. That's what they have mm-hmm. to do. Uh, Mike yeah, in Michigan, you're on with Mr. S- with Mr. Seska. Mike's a fan. Hey, Mike. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, I'm white, y'all. Anyway. Hello. <laughs> Bob doesn't get Rhonda's catchphrases, but go on. <laughs> hey, Bob is Bob's right, though. I tell you what, the media needs to be uh, held accountable to this stuff. I mean. Uh, Joe Biden's a good guy, and they're trying to just, just destroy him. And uh, 
I think it's they're not the, trying to destroy him. They're trying to build their own ratings. They're trying to get right wing yeah. people to watch their news. That's all it's about. Listen, investigate Joe Biden, investigate Trump, investigate them all thoroughly. I don't care. I'm not afraid of the outcome. If either of them broke the law, then prosecute both either of them. It's pretty simple. And, you know, I, I've been I've been really hard on CBS News here and to a certain extent, CNN as well. And I've been hard on other journalists, too. But this is one thing I always mentioned to my Trump voting dad when he talks about how terrible the quote unquote mainstream media is, is I say, hey, look, there are just as many journalists, professional journalists, journalists who are veterans in the trenches. They know what they're doing and occasionally they mess up. And there are just as many of those journalists who screw up as there are people of any other occupation. I mean, you're going to find just as many doctors who screw up, just as many police officers who screw up. It's just it's human nature. We're flawed people. That's what we are. And so to that extent, it happens. It's going to happen. It's And it's going to continue to happen. But right. it is also important that when it does happen, that we do call it out. The important thing is that we don't lose faith in some of these institutions, because quite honestly, the fourth estate is standing between us right now and and the end of democracy. And, and so uh, to that degree, we need to make sure that journalism is continues to be a vibrant institution in this country. Amen. And Mike, thank you for the call. Bob, well, I've got you. I would be most remiss if I didn't um, ask you about uh, the Republicans protecting rich people from paying their taxes. To me, this whole notion of the House Republicans versus the IRS, it's yet another example of how they claim to care about police. But when it comes to Mm -hmm. actual police, like the ones guarding our capital, the ones making sure the rich pay their taxes or, you know, um, the ones who are going after lawbreakers who might be former presidents living in Florida, they become fuck the police. And I think that's where this IRS thing fits in. I mean, they're literally trying to fund the IRS to make sure the rich pay their fair share. And the Republicans want to defund the IRS. Yeah, they absolutely do. And they're using uh, this lie that Joe Biden is hiring 87,000 jackbooted, thuggish IRS agents to go pound on every white suburban door. It's just it's utter nonsense when we know in reality that these are hires that are going to take place over 10 years. These are hires that include IT professionals and clerks and assistants and people to you know file papers and enter data into the system and so on we're not talking about agents who are going to be uh auditing you personally that's right. not how this works i right. mean obviously we need more auditors and more irs agents more uh agents in the criminal division of the irs because we have still quite a few tax sheets. It's an amazing because thing. Guys like Donald thing. Trump make 15 million a year and pay zero in taxes. That's all it's we're trying to do. Ultimately, the tax return system in this country, the tax code is based so much on the honor system <laughs> and that it's it's required to make sure that it's it's fair. Ultimately, that everyone is paying yep. their fair share in taxes and the IRS makes sure that happens. Mr. Seska, this always goes by so fast. How can our listeners follow you and keep up with all your work, please? Uh, my Patreon is bobseskashow.com, and you can get my podcast everywhere you get your podcasts. So thank you. Yeah. Bob, you always make my Wednesday. I always feel better after I talk to you. Thank you so much. <laughs> sure. Thanks, John. Have a great evening. Quick break. We'll be right back with your calls. This is Progress.
Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John saying Thank you for joining us on Channel 127. We're at 866-997-4748. I'm always excited when we get Mickey Huff on the show. He comes on about once a year. We're able to drag him out here. He's the director of Project Censored and president of the Nonprofit Media Freedom Foundation. To date, Mr. Huff has co-edited 14 editions of the project's yearbook, including most recently Project Censored State of the Free Press with Andy Lee Roth. He's also co-author with Nolan Higdon of United States of Distraction, Media Manipulations in Post-Truth America, and What We Can Do About It. Mickey Huff is executive producer and host of the Project Censored show, a weekly syndicated public affairs program that airs across the U.S. on Pacifica Radio, and now in Project Censored's State of the Free Press 2023, it is the report card by Andy Lee Roth and Mickey Huff of where the media is, where they should be, and where we could still go, covering everything from the billionaire-owned press, setting the terms of public discussion to the junk food news, to an explosion of something I love they call copaganda. What a pleasure to welcome Mickey Huff back to SiriusXM. Happy New Year, sir. Uh, same to you, man. It's a pleasure to be here. It's an honor and uh, appreciate the opportunity to be in conversation with you. So thanks for well, having th me. Thank you. I mean, I love how you guys consistently take on the most censored news stories of every year. Uh, for those who don't know, how do you explain what State of the Free Press is? Well, uh, State of the Free Press is our annual book, very specifically, uh, that like you said earlier, it's kind of like a report card or a um, you know, sort of an update on where are we in in our free press universe, our media landscape, as it were. Um, we've been around since 1976 doing this. Uh, your listeners, viewers can go to projectcensored.org and they can see all the stories that we've ranked going all the way back to our inception. Um, you can also learn about our methodologies, how we do things. Um, you know, interestingly, John, we, we, we live in a very um, confusing and contradictory world. Um, we have information at our fingertips. We have the capability to know probably more maybe than ever in any previous uh, human generation. But that doesn't mean that we have more wisdom or critical thinking skills to sift through it. Sure. And so what we also do at Project Censored is teach critical media literacy education. So we teach people how to think critically about media and to broaden their media horizons, as it were, or expand their media diet 
so that they can get more information than they're seeing in the so-called mainstream that's dominated by six corporations and five big tech companies. So <laughs> you're right. In a nutshell. <laughs> I, what I love that you do is when you when you go through the top 25 most censored stories, it's not just talking about the big news that impacts public health or whatever that's been ignored by the corporate media. You guys really celebrate the small independent news outlets and the independent journalists who don't really have a lot of institutional support and dollars behind them who are getting the truth out there. And and I love how some of these stories are very controversial and we'll get people arguing on the same side. Some of them are just black and white, like the fossil fuel industry, which we know is subsidized horrendously. We hear about big oil getting $600 million a year just for being themselves. But your report did the math. And and is it true that the fossil fuel industry right now is subsidized with our tax, do- tax dollars at a rate of $11 million per minute? Well, let's say that last part again. 11, I don't see how it's possible. Tell me. $11 million a minute in subsidies. This is a new report. Actually, this is a story by a fantastic independent journalist, Eduardo Garcia, who writes for Tree Hugger. Um, various other independent outlets. So you can see that um, Eduardo is somebody that has sort of his his focus is on the environment, climate crisis. Um, you know, and it took decades for the corporate media to bother to research and cover these issues. And even when they did, they were false balancing it to death uh, and yeah. false equivalencing and all these types of things. Um, look, the, the fossil fuel industry knew that that their products were causing climate harm four decades ago. And yes. they sat on those reports and corporate media didn't report those, but independent media did. This is another one of those examples. Um, there was a study done by, it was published by the International Monetary Fund, Hardly a bunch of uh, you know tree hugging radicals, despite the the tree hugger title of the publication. But you know the, this is an IMF published report from 2021 that found that the fossil fuel industry receives 11 million dollars a minute, and they broke <sighs> it down to 5.9 trillion dollars in 2020 alone. That it's going up to over six trillion by 2025. Again, this is the IMF. This this is not uh, this is not Earth first, right? Um, <laughs> which is, I mean, yes, it is. But you know, the, these this is the IMF, right? They're finally kind of catching up to what's we we can no longer avoid to see, and that's the uh, uh, um, these costs, the costs that are associated with. This isn't just direct subsidies, and I want to point that out. According to the report, um, this is also indirect subsidies, which means the lack of liability for health costs. It includes air pollution, other kinds of environmental degradation, extreme, extreme weather events. I I love that Mm -hmm. phrase. Um, You know, kind of look outside and see the extreme weather event. Oh, bro, I hope Uh, we get tickets to that century that comes every year. Yeah, uh, right. Exactly. Um, But but it also includes. Global warming, damages caused by global warming and costs resulting from traffic issues, people being in traffic longer, burning more fossil fuels. I mean, it goes on and on. And there's only five countries here that are responsible for two thirds of the fossil fuel subsidies. And it's also a northern hemispheric heavy problem where it's the major developed countries that are contributing far more to the problem. And of course, they're the ones subsidizing it. And then in turn, how does this connect to other issues? John, story number four is at least 128 members of Congress are invested in the fossil fuel industry. And one of the major advertisers in corporate media are the oil companies. So if you can play connect the dots, you'll have a field day with that one. 
Mr. Huff, which uh, members of the corporate media reported this year on the fact that at least 128 members of Congress have invested in the fossil fuel industry? Who, who, who brought attention to that? Um, so that's the, the reports that we have cited that our students, faculty and people and judges researched and vetted were from a, a publication called Sludge. Mm-hmm. Um, the other is, of course, Jacobin, the left left journal. Um, right. But in terms David of mainstream Moore, and mainstream corporate news picking up on this story, what were the numbers? Who, who covered it? Anyone? Anyone at all? Corporate media have not addressed this issue. <laughs> They talk about, um, you know, they talk about uh, energy, you know, clean energy. They talk about um, green energy. And by the way, the fossil fuel industry loves to greenwash. They love to talk about how they're spending millions, quote unquote, on cleaning up the environment. But they spend more money. Like BP, for example, spent six times more money advertising their initiatives, you know, to to change some of their ways and work on solar than they did uh, they spent six times more on advertising than they did on the actual initiatives. Of course. Right. I mean, so, you know, we know what's going on here. And the name of the game is perception management. And so everybody is trying and everybody that has a means by which to to get messages out is trying to control those narratives. And, John, guess who has the most power and access it's the oligarchic class. So one of yeah. our major themes, once again this year, is on the billionaire press. And you can't have a press owned by billionaires and have a free press, too. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I completely agree. And speaking of that and the billionaires, uh, let, let's talk about the dark money interference in our politics and how much that undermines democracy. Because another item on your list of uh, the most censored stories is about how after Joe Biden won in 2020, these right wing dark money groups have poured a lot of money that we can't trace into these various conspiracy theories that somehow the election was stolen. And we've seen a lot of corporations say that they won't donate any money to any politicians who voted against certifying our democracy. And that lasted about a year. And now they're all donating again. I mean, this these are stories that just don't come out too much. And I think much of the public still doesn't understand dark money because the people who own our country don't want them to understand dark money. No. And, you know, our story number five is dark money interferes in U.S. politics, undermining democracy. Uh, it's a report that was published originally at Salon. Dark money is 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 a way. Well, the Supreme Court, of course, paved the way for all this over a decade ago um, in Citizens United. And uh, they really paved the way to kind of tear down any kind of walls for funding. And they made it OK to funnel money sort of invisibly, if you will, like to have money coming from who knows where into political action committees. And uh, corporations, of course, have had a bonanza with this. So one of the stories um, looks very specifically at uh, groups that were fighting Biden's Supreme Court pick, right? So it was looking at the Federalist Society. Uh, It was looking at groups that had donated all kinds of money to the January 6th Capitol events. Right. And I mean, again, this is hard to trace. First of all, people don't not everyone understands that this happens. Second of all, even if you're looking, there's not a spotlight bright enough to show what's actually going on other than we know that something very corrupt is happening. The fact that it may be legal doesn't make it, you know, any more right. ethical. It's not yeah. <laughs> just because it's legal doesn't mean it's ethical or right or proper or just story number 10 dovetails with that. It's on major media outlets lobby against regulation of surveillance advertising. So that's right. The, the media and big tech, they don't want to have to disclose this stuff. They're in on it, too. 
And they are beneficiaries of this kind of funding, and they want to use their power to lobby against anything that's going to regulate them to make them be more transparent and more accountable to the public. So here we have the fourth estate right up to its neck involved in not covering, not wanting to shine the light. The very fact that these stories are on our list shows how problematic dark money is. Uh, Jane Mayer has written a great book about this. It's not that the Mm -hmm. alternative or independent press hasn't addressed it. I teach a whole course in college that addresses the problem of dark money and and politics and how it affects civic engagement and our public sphere. So it's not like the the information isn't available. It's that certain elements of the billionaire class in the press, they just don't want to cover it because it doesn't behoove them and it doesn't serve their interests. Well, then let me ask you about something related uh, on your list this year for the most censored stories. And that is an unprecedented glut of junk food news. Um, You know, this was the year of Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. And all I learned from that coverage was I was very glad these two people broke up. But you you documented, I mean, from all the billionaires in space to everything with Kanye West, it just seems like, you know, the same media that depends not on truth not on journalism, but on ratings, are ready to fill us with more empty calories if it helps them get the numbers. You've got it exactly. Um, the title, we do a chapter every year in our book um, called on junk food news. That's a term that our founder, Carl Jensen, coined in 1983. Um, when Project Censored was founded in the 70s, editors and journalists saw him as as attacking them for not reporting on things. And this is before cable, then cable comes in, but it's still before the internet. Um, and and they said to him, well, this is unfair because we only have so much time and space. Well, now, unless you get into another dimension, I don't know what more we need. We have 24-7 news coverage, right? But that means they just have to fill it up. And what do they tend to fill it with? Junk food news, titillating, yeah. sensational, tripe and garbage, innuendo. Um, and in fact, the lines even blur like this. This isn't just in. TMZ. And, you know, back when Carl coined the term, Carl, you know, went out and said, well, so in other words, you're saying that there's only so many column inches and there's only so much time. So you use your news judgment. Okay, fair enough. So Carl (laughs) took them up on it. So he started looking at everything that they did cover. And what he was finding is that they were spending all kinds of column inches and time on totally idiotic, mundane, ludicrous stories that he called junk food news or Twinkies for the brain. This chapter started to get so long that it was taking over the book, you know, over a decade ago when I was, you know, I've been doing this chapter for a long time. And uh, we try to get new crews and new folks in and students in to get a fresh eye and to see what 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 new junk food news there is. And so you can imagine this chapter is kind of pithy with a TH. Um, it's a little tongue in cheek and it's, uh, you know, it's a it's a sarcastic finger wag about the most trusted names and news that. They just can't turn their eyes away from the train wreck of Kanye and Kim Kardashian. They yeah. can't turn away from the Amber Heards and the the Johnny Depp's. And what they miss in the in the in the process is they miss things like stalking. They miss things like domestic. They're missing real serious underlying stories for the shiny, exciting, um, sort of Schadenfreude moments, right? I mean, I guess will. is it. Would it be fair to say that the coverage of Kanye West sort of caught up with real journalism as the year went by, thanks to Kanye becoming the most famous anti-Semite to blow a billion dollars when he didn't have to do it? I mean, at least Kanye eventually became newsworthy. Uh, It's sad that it was because he was so execrable. And eventually they began talking about those real problems, right? 
Um, but but they also frame it as the unhinged lunatic kind of a thing. It's kind of what the 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 liberal press does with uh, Elon Musk. You know, there's a lot of problems with with Musk and and even some of the Twitter files and the way in which that's being handled. The information is still damning and still is important to know. Part of the process is arguably problematic, how it's coming out, how select it is. But the focus on Elon Musk as as the foil is problematic. The problem over at Twitter isn't Elon Musk. It's that private corporations and big tech have captured the public square. It's that billionaires are now deciding what we get to look at, what we get to see, who gets a voice, who gets platformed, sure. who gets heard. And the corporate media miss all that stuff. Yes. Right? Well, because let, Let's talk about that because that's that's well, that's a big theme of the book. And it's something that we've discussed a lot over the last couple of years here on the show, especially with all of this propaganda about Twitter and and, and what free speech is and what the First Amendment means. Now, I keep feeling that we need to refine our definition of censorship and remind people it's something that the government does. And if a private company says you can't say that here, you're still free to say it elsewhere. But you guys think in this edition, it's actually something different. It's time to expand our definition of censorship. I mean, what is the word you would use when a private company has terms and services and can kick people off for violating them? I, I, I don't feel comfortable calling that censorship because they're not a government entity and they're not silencing anyone. You can still go over to another website and post the same content. Where are we at right now with 20th century media where we have to start rethinking what that word means or, or build on it? We've needed to rethink this for a very long time. And in fact, we at Project Censored have been sounding that alarm bell for well over a decade when we were talking about this is before the post-truth era of Trump and fake news. When we talked about uh, what we called a truth emergency, a lack of accurate or honest or factually transparent uh, reporting that was going on and more and more news was going online and, you know, about that time, late right. 2007 and eight, social media really started to gear up, right? And with Facebook and then Twitter and so on, we started to see, um, well, on one hand, John, there's promise with new technologies and new places to find and get information. But we saw the same old problems of ownership and advertising, reliance on elite sources, and then, of course, hiding behind prior restraint. At Project Censored, we've always defined censorship more broadly than what the legal definition is. Censorship is anything that interferes with the free flow of information in a society that purports to have a free press system. So when you have companies as large as Twitter or Meta or Alphabet controlling so much of the search engine internet or so much of the social media landscape, they've captured the public uh, arena and the public sphere. And so the idea that they are just private companies doing business no longer holds true. This is actually where some countries, literally, people go to report about major corruption, uh, revolutionary activities, social justice movements. In right. many places, this has just supplanted the more traditional legacy press. And so we need to seriously have conversations that redefine and we readjust what censorship really means and what it looks like. The sure, notion that sure. people like Musk can play on that and pretend he's a free speech absolutist is preposterous right because he's been banning people and kicking people off of of twitter left and right more correct comedians by the way comedian yeah <laughs> absolutely but i mean this is this is my struggle on the issue mickey because if i go into 7-eleven and they have a sign saying no shirt no shoes no service and i'm not wearing a shirt or shoes and they ask me to leave 
I haven't been censored. I can still say whatever I want in their parking lot. And and mm-hmm. so I, I and this is what we've debated with our listeners for the last two years over this, because I, I, I think that when it comes to these it's these social media sites, it's terrifying to think about the amount of control over the flow of information someone like a Musk has. But my life is hearing from trolls who got thrown off of Twitter because they lied about COVID or lied about democracy. And they're claiming that somehow their First Amendment rights were taken away. And, and I think we need to make that distinction that even if we're talking about big tech censorship, it still doesn't have the power to take away one's First Amendment rights. Am I splitting hairs here or is this a real argument? There's arguments and discussions that are well past due. Um, First Amendment rights are about prior restraint where the government is not permitted to interfere with the flow of information. We know the government did interfere in the Twitter files. We know that the government does interfere because of Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. Hmm. So it's not that the government isn't interfering, but where we see more, more insidiously and pervasively, and I would say perniciously, censorship occurs by proxy. These major tech companies did not just come out of, you know, uh, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates' garage. I know right. that's a lovely myth and that's a great story. <laughs> but these companies were all started with seed money from the federal government with taxpayers through DARPA. It goes back to the Cold War. We wrote about this in our last two books. That's right. We write about it again in this book. That's why the concept of censorship by proxy is so important because it it acknowledges what you were just saying as a potential hair splitting issue uh, on one level about the First Amendment and private companies. But it also acknowledges that these private companies are now so much central to our societal communications and involved and connected to civic engagement. You're right. That they can no longer simply claim the privilege that they can say or do what they want without consequence. So far, they have been. But You're we right. have been trying to move the needle on this conversation into the next le- into the next stage, if you will, where we acknowledge that private corporations also back into the 19th century before corporate personhood really got a seed planted that was institutionalized by Citizens United in 2010. Corporate charters had specific provisions that they were required to serve their communities and that if they failed to do so, their charters to exist should be and could be legally revoked. Mm. So we actually had systems in place earlier to address some of these problems. And in the early part of the 20th century, we even had a, a vivid antitrust scene where we were breaking up monopolies, breaking up to, you know, co- companies that had too much power and control, whether it was Standard Oil or others. And what we need now is we need a revisitation of some of those concepts and principles. And we need to seriously assess where are we going in our media ecosystem? Because half of American adults or more get their information from social media, or as we say, yeah. anti-social media. And those aren't journalistic outlets. So if they're distributing information, are they publishers? Well, this is, again, we, we these are, I, I'm not saying there's, only one position on it. I mean, I clearly have a view, and I'm, but I'm not pretending that there aren't other arguments. What I'm suggesting is that the corporate media don't want to have that argument. That's right. Big tech doesn't want to have that conversation. Um, and I, that's really part of the problem, John, is that we're really living in the midst of an extraordinary media crisis in the United States and around the world. And unless we really start talking about it honestly and openly and consider censorship by proxy, 
then we're not really going to gain any ground in creating a more vi- vi- uh, vibrant, robust, and inclusive and expanded free press. Absolutely. I just, I'm just i a big fan of this debate, and I, I, I love this discussion. I, if you're just joining us, my guest is Mickey Huff, director of Project Censored, president of the nonprofit Media Freedom Foundation. Project Censored State of the Free Press 2023 is on sale now in paperback and very much worth your time. And one of the things I learned, and I always learn a lot from what you guys do, but I love this experience expression news abuse, uh, which you guys made up to just talk about misleading, distorted disinformation. Um, but this new phrase you have, copaganda, was fascinating to me. Now, look, I, I love police who are good men and women. I love police who follow the law or public servants and try to take care of people. So so don't write me angry tweets. Um, but what are we talking about, Mickey, when we talk about copaganda? You know, media scholars have addressed the way media frame issues for years and for decades. Um, and of course, our, our media system is fueled by things like spectacle, right? Guy DeBoard talked about this years ago. Mm-hmm. Social scientists have talked about this. Journalists have talked about this. Well, news abuse is a, is a concept was created by Peter Phillips that cha- that expanded junk food news because junk food news is titillating and it's gener- generally you know, humilitainment, or it's supposed to be sort of entertaining to some degree. So we say, well, those aren't really serious stories. But, you know, a lot of those stories start to veer into very serious concepts like domestic abuse, for example, or like environmental degradation. And so that's not funny, right? That's not junk fodder per se. Right. So news abuse talks about how the corporate media will cover significant or important issues, but they frame, they distort, they leave things out. And they create a perception um, that is not necessarily in accordance with factual reality. And so news abuse is literally propaganda. Propaganda propaganda is playing on that. And Robin Anderson, uh, former professor of media studies at Fordham University, has written about this with us for years. She also writes for Fairness and Accuracy and Reporting. She did a whole chapter called Guns, 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 Criminal Justice, Mass Shootings and War connecting media bias around violence and about, you know, how there's this thin blue line in media that because you just had to give a disclaimer, John, right? It's as if we can't even have honest conversation about violence that comes down from the state. Yeah. This does not make us anti-authority. It doesn't make us anti the police person next door. Amen. It means that there's a problem. (laughs) And Robin talks about how the media frame that problem and how we are not really given an opportunity to have a real discussion about the problem of gun violence and police uh, uh, lack of police accountability. Absolutely. So so this, this then leads to uh, one of my favorite topics and something that I think is a symbol of how we're trying to figure out our way through this time. And that is, of course, um, what we saw this year when the government tried to get into the calling out disinformation game. We, we ask all the time, how do you how do you deal with this level of lies? Do you do you have a green check mark to show something's a verified real journalism no source? Thanks, uh, can you have a can you have a government <laughs> office somehow? So this year, this White House tried to have a, a, a under the Department of Homeland Security, they had the Disinformation Governance Board, which they announced was to protect national security by calling out uh, disinformation overseas, mainly mainly Russian stuff, and to see how it goes. Um, obviously, it never happened. It never even got started because everyone said, oh, this is Orwellian. This is censorship. So, I mean, Mickey, I guess my question is, 
who is to be the arbiter? Can there be an arbiter when lying is so profitable and so much money is invested in lying and the government didn't even do it? They tried setting up an office again, again, just to call out lies. That's all it was. It wasn't going to prosecute anybody. It wasn't going to put anybody in jail. Just an office that would say, hey, this isn't true. And that got shut down before it could start. What hope is there for any kind of unified opposition to this tidal wave of bullshit that's gaslighting our fellow citizens? Well, look, the defense against that is critical media literacy education. And this goes back to the United States of Distraction book. We, right need to, we the people in a, quote, democratic republic, we the people should be such arbiters. And the notion that government can create representative uh, arbitration is is a fascinating one. But when you put people like Michael Chertoff in charge, He's mm-hmm. the former head of the Department of Homeland Security, where sure. uh, this disinformation governance board was hatched. It's like the Ministry of Truth. Um, it got panned from right to left. People saying like this is problematic. Really, sure. though, we already have disinformation governance boards at everywhere. The Atlantic Council does it for Facebook, and they're the PR arm of NATO. Right. So the private sector is already rife with this problem. But when government tried to do it, it was too much. And believe me, it was. But people really pushed back. Now, to the core of your uh, – maybe they could put George Santos in charge of it, um, uh, <laughs> arbitrating, you know, looking at the lies, right? Um, but I think his you know, job in, is pretty safe, but I get where you're coming from. Yeah. <laughs> in seriousness, John, um, we don't believe in blacklisting. We don't believe in censorship at Project Censored. We don't think that there should be overt curation. We don't think people should be shadow banned uh, and deplatformed. We already have hate speech laws. We have First Amendment laws. There's a long history of precedence about expression and speech and so forth. We need to be using the public institutional mechanisms we have already in place historically to address and deal with these issues, which is messy and yes. and time consuming. But, you know, the American public has never, uh, you know, ne- never been very uh, dedicated to the long haul. Uh, and we're always easily distracted and we want right now instant gratification so when NewsGuard comes along, even though it's staffed by a bunch of former government spooks and CIA people and national intelligence people as a company, they'll put a green shield on CNN or Fox saying like, yay, good news. It's accurate and fair, fair and balanced. But then they'll take independent and alternative sites like Mint Press News or or Counterpunch or Covert Action Magazine, and they'll give them red shields. No, oh, pro- propaganda, it's evil propaganda. Or worse, like you said, According to the federal government, disinformation only comes from Russia. It doesn't come from the CIA. It doesn't come from the State Department. It doesn't come from our corporate media. It doesn't come from NATO allies. It only comes from Russia. Well, we've been calling out that hooey, bunkum, nonsense uh, propaganda for years. The Washington Post finally caught up with us. They finally uh, caught up to us by looking at a study that was done uh, last year that finally said – Yeah, all that stuff about the Russian bots and the Russians helping steal the 2016 election. Yeah, you know, there kind of wasn't a lot there. There was a very limited amount of money. It was a super limited hangout. And, you know, maybe we exaggerated the story. By the way, the people in government that were working with these agencies and, in fact, the main companies that were that were hired as consultants to the Senate Intelligence Committee when they were doing the Mueller report, right? They were all talking to these firms and all they were looking at is Russian disinformation. I'm like, well, what about the disinformation that was coming from the Washington Post? 
They're the ones that published fake stories about Russia hacking a Vermont power grid. They're the ones that were publishing false stories with no factual evidence about other issues where Russia wasn't involved. I'm but, but not that, saying so, Russia so, so how, or other countries weren't trying to meddle in the election. What I'm saying is, is they were not doing it to the extent to which it was ever purported by the government or the corporate press. And they didn't have any tangible evidence, which these new reports now finally have shown us. I mean, look, I was in the camp of uh, why can't Robert Mueller just follow the money on this and put it away once and for all? I mean, well, you know why? I I don't want to get into this whole debate, but I mean, collusion is not a crime. It's something Donald Trump made as a red herring. And and we also know that, I mean, Russia was behind it. They were behind blacks against Hillary as a Facebook page. We know that Donald Trump's second campaign manager got fired because he was sharing data with Russian spies, blah, 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 fucking blah. But my, my whole question is, thank God you're doing what you're doing because there is no arbiter of truth. There is no one place we can go. Our Parents and grandparents said Walter Cronkite, we have competing truths, most of which aren't actually true. They just make the reader feel good. So, Nikki, let me ask you, in in summation, what was the story that was most disturbing to you personally of this list for 2022? Real quickly, then, two things. Walter Cronkite was a fan of Project Censored and, in fact, a supporter of Project Censored in the early days. And a much um, and a much more brave uh, warrior once he stopped working for CBS and went independent. Well, I'll tell you, he got censored by the Nixon White House on the Watergate sure. story, for example. I mean, so there's yeah. another example of that. Yes, sir. Um, but moving along, um, you know, there's so many. But for me, the stories about the media themselves are the ones that are that are really troubling to me because it's like a meta problem. When you have the fourth estate that we allegedly rely upon to get information so that we can meaningfully engage uh, in our societal affairs and politics, when we have them so in bed with other special interests, whether it's through dark money, big pharma, advertising, revolving door, regulatory capture of agencies, the media fail to cover their own complicity. And this is very problematic. So whether it's story number seven, the Gates Foundation gave $319 million to news outlets all over the world. They're directly funding news outlets. Well, what happens when you become more and more dependent on finances from certain foundations? Well, you start to look at things differently, right? And again, I'm not casting aspersions on Gates personally or whatever his positions were on the pandemic and so forth. I'm simply saying when you have one individual through a foundation that's able to give this much money, you need to stand up and pay attention and ask what the consequences are. What are just really quickly, major media outlets were lobbying against regulation of surveillance advertising. I already said that one. Facebook had a blacklist of what they called dangerous individuals and organizations that stifled public debate. Um, You know, I could go on and on here, but for me, it's the very stories about the media itself that I think that we really just try to call attention to Project Censored. Project Censored, if you don't agree with our take on a particular story or you think we should be covering something else, that's great. Contact us. We're very open to constructive criticism. We're a very transparent and open and public organization. We work with hundreds and hundreds of people across the country and Amen. in several uh, several other countries. But what we want to do is we want to get we want to encourage people to be independent thinkers, right? The anarchist feminist Emma Goldman once said the most unpardonable sin in society is independence of thought. At Project yes. Censored, we think there need to be more sinners. And that's <laughs> we why want people I, to think for themselves. We want I, people I, to go to more places, more outlets, more sources, not fewer. And that's why, again, I just appreciate so much, John, you having us on your show to I love promote this conversation. that message. 
Well, come, come see us more often. Mickey Huff is director of Project Censored. You can learn plenty at projectcensored.com and pick up your copy of Project Censored's State of the Free Press 2023, published just last month. Mr. Huff, Happy New Year to you. Hope to see you again soon. Same thing. It's .org, Thank and thanks for having us. Oh, .org. Thank you. God, glad you saved me on that one. Okay, quick break. When we come back, your calls at 866-997-4748. Keith Price joins us in the next hour. This is Progress. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. I'm John Fiegel saying this is Sirius XM Progress. We're at 866-997-4748. Taking your calls all the way until midnight on the East Coast, 9 p.m. on the Pacific. It's now time to bring in our comedy daddy, one of the funniest, smartest players in the game. Keith Price is a comedian. He's an actor. He's a writer. He's a great broadcaster. He was the first openly gay black radio host at Sirius XM on the late lamented morning show for OutQ. And be sure to catch his wonderful Broadway podcast, Keith Price's Curtain Call. Comedy daddy, welcome back. Well, hello, my darling. How are you, sir? How am I? I have Broadway news to give you. Oh, uh, as you know, I, I've I've been trying to get out of the house more and go see more shows so I can actually run with the big boys like yourself. Uh, last weekend, <laughs> I finally got to go and see Strange Loop, the Pulitzer Prize winning musical, before it closed. But I went while the lead was out sick. And so uh, Michael Jackson, the, the, the playwright and, and songwriter for the show, mm-hmm. came in to fill in rather than the understudy. And as you probably know better than I do, well, I was there, but I'm sure you heard about it. They they scrapped the yep. blocking and they presented the show for a couple of performances as a concert, like a concert. format. So the cast was all seated in chairs and uh, Mr. Jackson had a music stand and, and read his text as he did it. And. It was wonderful. My wife kind of felt cheated that she didn't get to see the real show, but it was really uh, a very yeah. remarkable happening. And I think it brought out the the lyrics and the poignancy uh, even more strongly. You know, I guess so, because if you don't have the visual that was going on with everything that happens in that that story, you <laughs> you, you don't have to clutch well, your pearls as much I mean, as I you, did you, in, in some of those you know, that, moments. I was like, that, oh, my. Oh, yeah. It's, well, it's still sho- it's still shocking. I mean, that that whole scene where he hooks up with the white supremacist slave fetish. dude. It's yeah. it was the fact that they were just sitting on chairs. It was still shocking. And I mean, the crowd was going wild for it because the crowd had a lot of hardcore lifers for the show. So I kind of felt like I was invited to somebody else's birthday party a few times that I didn't know. But man, I'm so glad I got to see it before it closed, Keith. I well, wow! I'm glad you're going. It's good finally to hear you going out. (laughs) (laughs) Now, were you masked? 
Um, I, you know, I, I treated it like an airplane. Yeah, I wore I wore a mask uh, until I was seated. And once I was seated, okay. I take the mask off. And on the airplanes, once they close the doors and no one's in the aisle, I take my mask off, too. So that's how I did it. Oh. How about well, you? All right. I, Are you well, worried? you know, I was masked because I saw it still kind of towards the end of the the craziness. So people weren't really super sure. So we right. stayed masked through the performance. But, um, you know, I got to see it a literally probably... I want to say like two weeks or so before the the Tonys, mm. because I had just started working at MTC ushering on the side, and when I went to go see the sh- the play, I sit in the audience and that first song, Usher, 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 and I was like, oh my god! And then I look up on the stage and I see this, you know, an, I don't want to say enormous, but this very imposing large black man who's also gay, who's also a creative. Who's That's also it. trying to figure out his life, and you know, and oddly enough, I mean, there's about a thirty-year gap between me and the actual character, but a lot of that journey, you know, including oh, yeah. the white, it's the white supremacists. Yeah, I've we've all honestly, all of us have like, been there at some point, and it was it, really freaky. But I love it. it. Well, that's what I, you keep hearing the hype on the show. Oh, it's it's a it's the story of a of a heavy set gay black man who's writing a play about a heavy set gay black man. But the other <laughs> night, I got to see the actual heavy set gay black man who wrote it play the heavy set gay black man who's writing. And what what I think is a sign of what a a, a wonderful, surprise successful winning. musical it is, is the fact that no matter who you are or what your background, you or your age, there will be moments in this play. That will touch you to your bones. And you think that, wow, heavy set gay black man, little inside baseball, little, okay, that's a niche. But mm-hmm. the universality of great storytelling means that a good story, yep. especially a story about being lonely, is going to reach oh everyone. Oh, God. Well, I'm telling you. But yeah, like, I, I, for me, like I said, it was, it was just freaky to watch the whole story unfold and to watch the experience that this kid was going through and, you know, and honestly seeing, I mean, to some, almost some minute points, a lot of my life being put on this display with this kind of appeal. And it really, it moved me because it's sort of like now that's, it's changed the way that I'm thinking about my comedy. Now it's changed the way that I'm thinking about writing. And it was, you know, like I said, it was just like, Woo, this, this is cutting close to the bone for me. And so when I met Jake, and then I wound up two weeks later meeting Jaquel Spivey, the actual guy Ah. who plays the Mm -hmm. usher. And we took a picture together. I said, I have to talk to you and meet you. I said, because it's like art imitating life, imitating art. And it was like all too meta for me in the moment. I was just like, Am I you or are you me? You know, it's like we're both like in the same kind of zone. And it was like I I couldn't it was too much for me. And I and like I said, that's like the first time I've ever been touched by a Broadway show like that. Well, you know, and I've seen this issue of girls and I've seen what I'm saying. It comes down to representation, right? It's like, yeah. It's like when you it's not just tokenism. You, you you have the story of someone you've never seen before. And it could have been a story about a transgender Muslim living in Mexico. Mm-hmm. But if if it's a good story, then it's universal. And so the representation shows how our commonalities do outweigh our differences. This is a show that tons of straight conservative white people should see, not just to 
broaden their horizons, but also to see how much they have in common with these characters that they would think they had nothing right. in common with. Is this great stuff? Yeah. I was so glad to finally see it. Or that they think they have nothing in common with. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, speaking of great storytelling, uh, George Santos, um, let's talk about the pride <laughs> of Nassau County. Uh, Keith, I began the show tonight with a, a rant about, uh, you know, how Jeff Beck had to leave and George Santos will never leave. And he won't. Uh, his He's... job is as safe as a black band leader who laughs at all of Jay Leno's jokes. That's how safe his job security is, because they're never going to have a special election. They're not going to have a recall. McCarthy's not going to let him go. Joe Biden won that district by 10 points. They're not going to risk losing one of their four vote lead. So we should get very, very used to this corrosive, heroic liar being in Congress. And I say, great let him be the face of the party. Let them carry him proudly. I, you know, there's a part of me that agrees with that because it, you're right. It's like it, maybe this is what people need to see. It's like this is how corrosive this whole energy is that these people are bringing to the, the, the states or bringing to our nation's capital. And there are people out there that are supporting this because, as you said before, it's like, you know, McCarthy needs this guy. And it's like, yeah. you know, it's like McCarthy needs him more than he needs McCarthy, it almost feels like. Because clearly by just saying I'm not going to go and you can't make me nana nana boo boo, he's going to keep this gig. He's like, he's like going to wind up being like Effie White at the end of, you know, Act One in Dreamgirls, you know, and I'm telling you, I'm not going. That's what he's doing. And, and mm -hmm. the thing is, is that they're letting him. Well, and they that, have to. And by the way, these Republicans the today, that, these, these Republicans today demanding he resign. The, that's they a have day to late do and that. a dollar short, baby. But they, they have to do it. Listen, they, they had they should have they should have known this and called on him to resign before he had the nomination before Election exactly. Day. They don't care. They don't want egg on their face. And so they have to show up and do this big performative. We call on him to, to resign now. So good. Now they've done their job. Of course, he's not going to resign. They know he's not going to resign. They keep the seat, but they pretended to do something it's the performative oh. governance that defines the republican party they're not going to do shit but they'll make it look like they're doing something on a camera mm -hmm. well i mean and and the bottom line is that they have to do this now to save face but the bottom to to talk about where it would have been actually effective should have been in the moment that somebody did their research because yeah. I'm, you know, here's again, all of these things are just falling out of the sky as, Oh, well, this is a lie. This is a lie. This is a lie. Are you going to tell me that there's not, you know, we're talking about an actual government job that they're not going to do enough research to recognize that this stuff is a lie. So the that Democrats didn't that, Keith, the Democrats didn't. The, the real villain here is the democratic party on long Island in Nassau County. They had plenty of time. There were local papers that were time. documenting this. They had, you do opposition research for God's sakes. This guy lied about everything. How, he lied about <laughs> everything and and to me oh. that would have been the stuff that you could have laid out right there in that election debate whatever that debate might have been and just put it out there and and be a, a, a force to make sure that people knew that and they chose not to because they're like nope. assuming that well joe biden won by 10 percent, so there's a chance that we're probably going to win it and this guy That's sounds kind of crazy and they got lazy and it's sort of like you, you know they have to fight a lot harder to do this process now because so they've got nothing but opposition on every front and it's going to be per permeating in every committee and every little 
aspect of of the business that of hand that needs to get done that's it's right. not going to get done for the next two years because we have allowed these people and again i say we and i mean really this country has allowed all of this lack of accountability to go too far and now that we've done it it's sort of like well how far back are you going to have to pull it in order to yeah. get it to be right and the democrats are afraid that once they start having to play that accountability game that means that their closet doors are going to have to be open too and that yep. also scares the <laughs> shish kebab out of them and they need and you know to the just best like part of this? their stuff the best what part of this is? whole thing is herschel walker reading a newspaper saying god <laughs> damn it God damn it. How come he gets to take a job in government night? I'm just kidding. Herschel Walker has never read a newspaper. Um, Keith, oh my God, we haven't spoken since uh, the end of my favorite reality show of 2023, the nonstop humiliation of Kevin McCarthy. They they ended phase one last night. Phase two has now begun. Really quick, uh, imagine owning this guy. They wasted no time passing anti-abortion measures to please mm-hmm. the people that already support them here is uh jim jordan gleefully pretending he cares about anyone other than himself a6 this is a resolution that says we appreciate the good work that happens at crisis pregnancy centers where they take in women where they help them help them and help that unborn child make sure that that unborn child gets to experience the gift of life the sanctity of life is what this is all about and so i want to commend my colleague and friend, Mr. Johnson from the great state of Louisiana for this resolution and the people across the country who volunteer and work, who work every day at these centers to help these ladies who are in a tough situation. There you go. Jim Jordan needs these young fetuses to grow up to be young men so they can be sexually assaulted in the Ohio State locker room while Jim Jordan does nothing about it. The circle of grift, folks. Circle of grift. It's just just amazing to me to hear them talk about, you know, what they experience the life. Experience what life if your mama can't afford to feed you. That's great. And and being born into a government that doesn't want to get you fed nor keep you healthy (laughs) or keep you alive damn near. But sure. Why don't we just go ahead and and make them have those babies? Yeah. And again, and again, guys, blue high tax states fund red low tax states okay this is associated press fact check shows it all the time high tax traditionally democratic states the blue states we're the ones who subsidize those low tax traditionally red republican states in a huge way and so get ready because they're now going to be punishing poor women with more Mm -hmm. poverty and it's going to be happening in the red states that are already the poorest states and you're about to see a whole bunch of women forced by these states to carry and bear children they can't afford and the red states the welfare states have no Mm -hmm. plans to deal with all the new poor people they'll be creating all this for something that's not even forbidden by the damn bible keith it's just the 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 only Mm -hmm. consolation is that kevin mccarthy's going to be so bad at his job it will be kind of fun watching his caucus tear him apart for two years well it, you know if if so i mean i think the the best part about watching kevin mccarthy is you can see how far his back will bend because he's so busy being flexible to everything and everyone because he he has no real power it doesn't seem like to me if it took mm-hmm. 15 you know, tries for him to become, you know, his RuPaul's Drag Race winner. If it took him that many times to do it, and 
that's without any confidence with all of those different people. It's like it's not a united front whatsoever, which You're to right. me shows what we're going to be dealing with. And he's going to be such a useful he's going to be another useful idiot for mm-hmm. whatever propaganda that's happening. It's like, what is it? Michael Beckless posted this thing the other day about um, should seditionists be allowed to be in government? And I was like, yeah. well, isn't that in the constitution? Like, <laughs> it's like I, Oh, we have to prove that they're seditionists. That's what it is. And then once That's we it. prove that they're seditionists, then we can, you know, throw that 14th amendment section three you know what i mean uh keith are you a hakeem are you are you a hakeem jeffries fan and uh how hot is he on your radar um he's he's pretty hot he's he's uh, he's up there pretty gosh yeah he's he's given you know political power hot and then how you doing hot you know what i'm saying like (laughs) i like looking at hakeem honey and then i like to watch him just cut people up he just be cutting them with the words girl he just be getting them so you're the Hakeem hot team. Thank you for joining us. Happy New Year. Have a great evening. And thank you all for listening. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Owen, for helping us out tonight. Hope you're enjoying Vacation Thea. I'm John saying Keep it tuned to progress all day long, starting with Zerlina in the mornings. We will be here tomorrow night. Peace. Peace.